0: Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Welcome to Grace. Welcome, to everybody. Watch online. Hope that uh, you're doing well, and thanks for joining us also. Uh, we're in a uh, series right now called Five Assumptions About God and Why They're Wrong, and that series is drawn out of this little book, and uh, we would love for you to have it. We're reading it together <clears throat> and then dis- and uh, discussing it in our small group, so if you haven't got a copy yet, you can get it out in the bookstore. If you're watching online, you can get it on the uh, the Grace Church bookstore. Just go to the website, you can find your way to it from there and pick up a copy. And uh, we're just processing through these assumptions and uh, just realize the importance that if we don't uh, have truth as the foundation of how we interact with God, if we have a false assumption in there— then we really go cattywampus as we start building our relationship with God, as we start interacting with the church, and as we, even, as we, even as we start interacting with each other. And so we just said, let's, let's double-click, make sure that our thinking is right and squared away, and uh, really look at what Christ actually says, what the Bible actually teaches, and build our foundation off of that. So we've looked at the first three assumptions so far. Uh, the first assumption is that God just wants me to try harder— and that's kind of the the knock it off, stop it, cut it out kind of a God. Is that who God is? Is that what He sounds like? Is that what He wants from us? So we double-clicked on that one. The second assumption is God just wants me to go to church. So God, God wants me to show up at a holy place, a holy building, hear from a holy man, do holy traditions, and that's what God wants. I kind of pay homage to God maybe once a week or a couple times a year. Is that what God's looking for is that right or not? And then the third assumption is that God's never happy with me. Like, if you might make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth, maybe, kind of a thing. And is is God ever pleased? Is He ever on your side? Is He ever cheering for you and hoping for you? What does He think about His sons and His daughters? And so we've worked through those assumptions, and we push back against all those, and, and we really leaned into this passage in Matthew chapter 22, a guy came to Jesus, has all these assumptions, all these things he's been taught. And so he goes to Jesus, and he says, what's the thing? What, what, what do you want? What am I supposed to do? Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 22. He says, here's the bottom line. I want you to love the Lord your God. That's the thing. Love the Lord your God all your heart, your soul, your mind. And, and uh, later on in Mark, he says strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, what am I supposed to do? Church, try harder. What? You, love the Lord your God, with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the first and the greatest commandment. Second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And as the passage goes on in verse forty, he says, "Jesus says." He goes on. He says, "Actually, all the law and all the prophets hang on that." In other words, if I don't build the foundation of loving God and loving my neighbor, and make that the foundation, I'll get cattywampus as I go forward. It, it, I won't understand how to apply my efforts. I'll just think God wants me to try harder. I won't download what it means to interact with the church. I'll think God just wants me to be religious. I, I, I'll always kind of live in fear that like God will have enough of me. or he's always I'm, I'm the guy that can never do it. God's always disappointed. Instead of having an understanding of what a father's heart is toward his children. So we push back on those assumptions and say, no, those those are wrong. At the bottom line, the beginning of everything, do I love Christ? Am I all in? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Do I love Christ? If I love Christ, I will love my neighbor. I can't actually stop myself from doing that. I will love my neighbor as myself. And everything's built on that. All the law, all the prophets hang on that commandment, okay? So this and I want to take you to the fourth commandment, or the fourth assumption, not the fourth commandment, uh, the fourth assumption, and we want to talk about the idea <clears throat> of this, that I assume God is just waiting for me to mess up, that God is just waiting for me to mess up. Now, before I dive into this, let me say this. This conversation is going to play out a certain way, and it's actually a weighted conversation, okay? So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, This conversation is weighted towards you. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, this conversation is going to describe for you how God interacts with people who are his followers, okay? So the Bible would delineate those those two types of people. The Bible would say that every human being starts off in sin. We're born that way, the Bible says. And the Bible says that when I am in sin... The wages of those sin is spiritual death. Wages is what I get, what I earn for what I do. So I earn for myself spiritual death. And when I am in that place, the Bible says I'm an enemy of God in my heart. I'm in danger of the wrath of God. I am dead spiritually. I'm spiritually dead in my trespasses and iniquities, my, my rebellion and rejection of God. And I'm enslaved or I'm in bondage to sin. And that's that's who everybody is until they receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So Jesus came, he died, he gave his life, he went to the grave, he rose again in three days. All the Easter stuff that we're gonna talk about here in the next few weeks, like all that happened. And when he did that he demonstrated that he alone has the power to forgive you of your sin. And if we confess our sins, we admit that we need to have our sins forgiven. The Bible says Jesus is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And when he does that, we become children of God. We are reborn as children of God. That's what Jesus or his words. So we're reborn as children of God, okay? So some of us need to submit ourselves to God, ask for the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says take the way of escape, be born again, become a new creation. That's how the Bible would describe it. And I need to ask Christ to forgive me so I'm cleansed. And then I can become a child of God. And some of us who have done that and are children of God need to understand the depth of what it means to be a child of God. And this particular conversation is weighted that way, okay? So if you're not a Christ follower yet, you're welcome, love you, I'm thrilled you're here. I'm describing what it looks like when you're a Christ follower, okay? And so just know that. So you're looking ahead and saying, ooh, that, that could be available for me absolutely. How do I get it? I accept Christ, right? And I start allowing him to work in my life. Okay, so in that whole context, my assumption is, as a Christ follower, God's just waiting for me to mess up. He's watching me, He's looking, he's always staring at me, and when I mess up, like the red light goes off over my head, and God God notices. He sees it, he's always staring, he's, there are rules, there are sins in the Bible, there are the rules of the church, and if I don't follow those things properly, God's gonna find out And when he finds out, he's going to know. And he's just waiting because it's going to happen because I'm the guy that can't get it together, right? I'm the diphthong that can't pull it off. Look it up. And so, right, so I'm that guy. And when that happens, I'm going to mess up and God is going to remove his blessing from me. That's the way I was taught. If I behave properly, I'm blessed by God. If I behave improperly, God's blessing is removed from me. And, and who knows what's going to happen in my life, right? So I grew up in a tradition, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but I did. I grew up in a tradition that, <clears throat> that was kind of the, the baseline of the teaching. And so what you would do is you would do funky math on that, and then you'd read the Bible in a weird way because of it. So this is the kind of math that you would do. You would look and say, anything good that happens in my life happens because I didn't mess up. And anything bad that happens in my life happens because I did mess up. And then there was a range of infractions, right? And the consequences were, were attached to whatever range the infraction was. So the church I grew up in, uh, we were uh, separatist by nature. And so a big part of not messing up was how well you exercise your separatism, okay? For instance, uh, we were not allowed to listen to secular music, I called it secular music. Secular music was any music that did not mention Jesus or God. It was all secular. If it didn't mention Jesus or God, then it was of the devil. And then you would ask a question. Well, what about classical music? There's no words, and they they would just leave the room. They would never. They never I still don't know the answer to that question, right? So I, I asked it, but I got in, I got in trouble, yeah, right? So I was being disrespectful. So like, but that that was the thing. Like, can you imagine me? <laughs> so, so right. So, but any music that didn't mention Jesus or God was, or quote scripture was. Secular. So, this is the math that you would do. You're not allowed to listen to secular music. God's watching. He's watching. He's looking. He's scanning right and he knows everything and so you would be in the car and you'd be driving down the road flipping through the radio and you might linger you might linger in sin so you're driving in the car and your radio goes across a really really good song and you're like what is this what is this love me like a bomb baby come on get it on <laughs> Love me like a lover with a red eye. Love me like a tramp. Anyway, so you, like, you would hear that. You would hear that, right? You, you would hear that. And you'd be like, oh, I heard it. I heard it. And then you'd go to high school, and you would go to take your algebra test, and you flunk it. You're like that's why I flunked it. Had nothing to do with studying or that you hope that the Holy Spirit would divinely inspire you to pass algebra, which does not work. I know, right? So like, right? So it had to do with I listen. I lingered in this sin, and here's the consequences for it, right? And so you would have that kind of stuff. Like I play. We weren't allowed to play uh, with uh, playing cards, poker cards. You could play Uno, Rook, or Milbourne, but you couldn't play euchre. Or you would like go to hell for it. So like you weren't allowed to do that. So like you, but so I played euchre, right? That's why. That's why I didn't. I didn't get that job I wanted. That's why I didn't get into that college because you, you sinned. God's watching. He noticed it. He removed his blessing from you, right? Now those are small infractions, not felonies, just small infractions, right? Those are speeding tickets. There were also big infractions. So if you had habitual sin in your life, that was horrible. And the habitual sin was defined very, very narrowly. It had to do with some kind of sex or some kind of addiction. But it, it could only be non-Christian acceptable addiction. So you could be addicted to coffee, food, that kind of stuff, but not alcohol or cigarettes. That was unacceptable. And so like, if you had that, that's, that's, what you're, that's why this happened. You... You know you're addicted over here to you look at pornography too much that's why your marriage failed right you you're addicted to a worldly lifestyle that you, you see you know the way they live that's why their kids rebelled that's that's the math that was done if that you know he's he never really overcame the alcohol thing that's why he has cancer Literally, that was the math that was done, and you have this really big sin, and so God punishes God, and God is watching. He's always watching, and he's going to find out how it's working, and, and if you just do that math like that, that's, that's how that, that works, right? So you had to do that. Not only, not only that, but, but we had to be separate from the people who were doing the sin, So not only were you not allowed to drink alcohol, you weren't allowed to be with the people who drank alcohol. You had to be removed from that. So you didn't have any unbelieving friends. You didn't know your neighbors. You only knew the holy people that was around you. So we weren't allowed to go to Applebee's. It's a big thing because there's a bar and a grill. Right, and you couldn't you couldn't go to the bar part because you don't even want to be associated. With it. So we had to go to like Bob Evans all the time. I hate Bob Evans. Uh, praise God for first wife. Well, but I'm just saying, right? it's that it's that kind of thing where you had to be removed because God's watching and He's going to find out if you were even close to sin. And if He finds out that you were, right, that's what you're going to. And you, what, what happens is you start to read the Bible that way. Right, so here's a verse, Proverbs, great verse. We quoted this all the time. So here's a, Proverbs says this The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Oh, we got this verse a lot. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked. And we just leave off the last three words. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, watching, watching your wickedness. And you better, you better know that right? Because that's why you have problems in your life. Now, when you have that mindset, what you will do is, is you, will, you will look and say, I, I got to do something about my sin. I, I have to rid myself of this because God's watching and he's, he's going to find out. So you will become like a hardcore legalist, right? You'll, you'll start leaning into things that you can control in your life and then judging other people who can't control them the way that you do, So you become a hardcore legalist, and you'll take that all the way through self-inflicted pain. There's actually people in the world, uh, you can Google this term if you want, they practice something called flagellation. And what that is, is they'll literally take whips or or something, and they'll beat their body with it. And they're, they're punishing themselves for sin. They'll put a chain around their leg with spikes on it, and they'll ratchet it down because they want to they rid themselves. Pain will rid me. Christ suffered, I'll suffer. In fact, if you Google right now, it happens at Easter time, there's a sect in the Philippines where some of the men will actually be crucified every Easter. Because I, I have to prove to God that he's watching, and I have to show him how serious I am about this, and this is what I was taught. I was taught that the point of the Christian life is not to sin. And people who are real Christians and really devoted Christians will really not sin. And you you have to quit it, stop it, knock it off. And, And God's watching, and if he finds you sinning, then there's gonna be horrible consequences. This phrase was a big part of my life. I I was taught this in discipleship, I was taught to look deeply into my heart, right? So I'm gonna look deeply into my heart and I'm going to identify sin, that's what I'm gonna do. Look deeply into my heart, I'm gonna identify sin and do everything in my power to flee evil and to rid my life of sin. So I am gonna stare at my heart, I'm gonna stare at the sin I'm gonna find it. Did you did you lust? Are you are you worldly? Did you have materialism? Are you greedy? Are you selfish? I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find every nuance of it. That's what I'm gonna do. And I'm gonna do everything in my power. I'm gonna rip it out by the very, very roots so that I can have victory over sin. Because the Bible says to flee sin. That's what I'm doing. And I'm gonna rid my life of sin. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stare at that and and conquer that, I'm going to willpower my way through it, right? Now, here's the trap. If I stare at sin, if sin fills my gaze, I'm going to look at whatever sin I'm working on right now, my jealousy, I'm going to look at that, my covetousness, I'm going to look, at I it, so want his truck, I'm going to not want his truck, Go be content with my eight-year-old Yukon. Right? That, that, see, it's that's I'm confessing, right? So right. I, I gotta I got I got I gotta I gotta quit lusting. I gotta this is what happens. When I stare at my sin and sin is what fills my gaze, what will I become obsessed with? My sin. And when I'm obsessed with something, what do I think about and struggle with all the more? My sin. Let me prove it to you, all Right, Right now, right now, I want you to not think about a hot girl in a yellow polka dot bikini. Do not think about a hot girl. Don't think about a hot girl. Don't think about her legs, her long legs. Don't think about that. Don't think about that flowing hair as she runs gently down the beach. Don't think about, don't think about that. Don't, don't think about her her stomach and that little piercing and her belly button. Do not think about that, right? And you start thinking about it, right? All the women are like, oh, she's fat. She's so fat, right? <laughs> and all the teenage boys are like, no, she's not. And your dad is looking at your mom saying, Oh yeah, she's totally fat, son, she's totally <laughs> ugly. Can't stand her. I want to vomit right now. Let me, she's Let me double check. Yeah, she's fat. She's fat. <laughs> see if you if you if you've got if you got sin filling your gaze, you obsess about sin. Right? And and sin's gonna and you're gonna and then you you take that and push that assumption in there, and now God's watching. And now I'm failing, and I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a disaster, and I'm doing everything in my power to rid myself of sin, but the more I focus on it, the more I sin. And then we'll hear God that way. Let me, let me show you this passage. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Great passage. Hebrews chapter 12. heard this one a lot growing up. It's, it's really phenomenal, but I heard it like this because I assumed God was always watching, right? So here it is. Verse 1. Hebrews 12, therefore, and I always heard that as a finger wag. Therefore, now you listen for real this time. Mean it. Therefore, better know it. Listen. Look at me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, great. Now there's witnesses. (laughs) So God's watching. And all these witnesses are watching. Well, who are the witnesses? Well, they're the saints that go on before the Bible would teach. It's so, great. Now, everybody who made it is watching me mess it up. So now there's Jesus, and there's witnesses, and they're watching. And we'll even talk to each other this way. Your, your grandmother would roll over in her grave if she saw you playing euchre right? Your grandfather, if he knew you went to a church where the pastor wears flip-flops and there's drums conjuring up demons, he would, right? There's witnesses and they're watching and they're disgusted that you have not worked out. So you're surrounded by great of witnesses. So what do I do? God's watching. There's witnesses watching. What do I do? So I throw off everything, I gotta look deep. I gotta find everything that hinders me and the sin that so easily entangles. I gotta find the sin and get it out because I have to run a race with perseverance that's marked out for me. I gotta persevere, I gotta try, I gotta willpower, and I gotta, uh, I gotta, uh. see. And everybody's watching, including God, and I have to deal with my sin. And I got to make it to heaven somehow, right? Now, let me show you what's going to happen. If we think like that, and we act like that, and we hear the Bible like that, and now the church's job is to point the sin out what will happen is I'm going to start in on a cycle that I can never break, all right? So let's just pretend this is my heart, all right? This is my, my heart, an oddly shaped heart, but it's my heart, okay? And my heart is full of sin, right? So I'm born a sinner, the Bible says. I, I am born a sinner, and, and I have sin in my heart. Is my nature to sin, right? So far, so correct. Absolutely what the Bible says. And my sin, God's watching and I have to deal with my sin because I don't want to fail God. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to, I got to deal with my sin. And the witnesses are watching and they all know my sin because they somehow overcame theirs. And if I could just be like pastor such and such... So what I'm going to do is with perseverance, effort, discipline, I'm going to deal with my sin. I am going to pull lust out of my life. Well, it didn't work. Because when I, when I obsess about lust, I lust more. I'm going to pull greed out of my life. It didn't work. Because when I obsess about greed, I become more greedy I'm gonna. You know what I'm gonna do? I am gonna control my time. I'm Captain F-bomb. I'm gonna control my tongue. I'm gonna stop it. Well, I can't stop it. I'm just using Christian alternative cuss words now. They're out there. You know what I mean? Baloney. Sugar. Ah, oh, sugar. Yeah. Just, just go ahead and add the other letters. Right. I'm going to stop it. I'm, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? My marriage isn't going the way that I want it to go. I am going to change. I'm going, I'm going to change and I'm going to stop it. In fact, I mean it. This time, I mean it. I'm going to stop being selfish. I'm going, I'm going to stop being critical. It never works but I'm trying. God's watching. I'm failing. There's consequences. I'm not missing the lesson, but I'm having no victory over that sin. I cannot get it out of my life. Now, answer a question. Is that what Jesus said to do? Did he, when the Pharisee came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? Did he say, stop lusting? Is that what he said? I'm watching and you are a lustaholic. Stop gossiping. Stop it. Is that what he said? Before you do anything else, and even associate with me, start giving your money to the church, you greedy, materialistic. Is that what he said? He got to ask the question, what was the first and greatest commandment that sets the foundation for the rest of the commandments? What is it? What do you say? Love the Lord. Love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Go all in with all that you are. Love me. And when you love me, you'll love people. What if the key to overcoming sin is not focusing on sin? What if the key to overcoming sin is focusing on Christ? What if it's not me ridding myself of sin? What if it's me allowing myself to be filled with Christ? This is what happens. When I love the Lord... And the Lord starts to affect my heart. Let's pretend this is Jesus. All of a sudden, when I start to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will automatically start to love my neighbor as myself. Here's the problem. It's really, really, really difficult to look at the girl in a yellow polka dot bikini and objectify her when I start to see her as Christ sees her. It's hard for me to lust after her and to think of her in sexual ways, when I look through her instead of at her, and I see the daughter of God, the child of God, the person that Christ loves, it's really hard for me to do that. It's really hard for me to hate you and love Christ at the same time when I think about my ex, when I think about what that girl did to me, when I think what an idiot that boss of mine is, it's really, really hard. In fact, you could say it's impossible for my heart to be filled with the love of Christ and the hate of another human being simultaneously. As I download Christ, he starts to displace my sin. It's really, really hard for me to be Captain F-bomb When my heart is filled with the love and the joy and the encouragement of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says this, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's weird. It's not even, I can't even control my tongue, but it can be controlled by Christ. When Christ indwells me, when the Spirit of God indwells me, all of a sudden, everything about me changes the way that I look at the world, the way that I think about the world, the the viewpoint that I have. It's like I'm a new creation. Like the old me is gone and the new me is here. It's like Christ's power is at work within me. It's like I think with the mind of Christ. I value what Christ values. I love what Christ loves. It's almost as if I'm not doing it myself. But he fills me and suddenly I have this unique patience, this hard-to-explain joy, this odd kindness, this deep love, this peace that goes beyond understanding, this gentleness, even this self-control, that God does it, God produces it, and God is displacing the old me with the new person that is reborn into Christ Jesus. I even will start to look at things like my money differently. It's really weird. It's hard for me to be greedy and possessive when I start to understand the depth of God's generosity to me. All of a sudden, instead of being somebody who gives out of obligation or out of proving my work to God, I am just naturally a generous person. I become a joyful giver. I love doing it. I love mercy. I look forward to compassion. I want to share my life. You know what I want to do? I want to be so much controlled and defined by Jesus that when you interact with me, it's as if you're interacting with Christ himself. I want my words, my actions, my motives, everything about my life to be Christ on display. And He empowers me. He changes me. He cleanses me. He throws my sins as far as the east is from the west. He takes my heart and makes it whiter than snow. Why do we deal with our sin? The point of the Christian life is not to not sin. The very foundation of the Christian life is to love the Lord your God with everything in you. It is such a a radical plan. Because it's easy not to sin if you just pick your top five sins. It's easy not to go to the movies. It's easy not to drink alcohol. It's not that big of a deal. It's easy not to smoke. I don't smoke. Can't believe you do. It's easy not to look at pornography. It's e- it's easy to do a few things, but to love somebody, what's harder? Throwing 10 bucks in the basket at church or surrendering everything you own to the person of Jesus Christ? What's harder? The reason that we focus on our sin as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason that we want Christ to deal with it, the reason that we're willing to submit ourselves to it, is not so that I can get my act together and knock it off. The reason that I would do that is because what sin does in the believer's heart is it distorts and dilutes the message of Jesus Christ. I'm going to have a really hard time telling her about Jesus and sleeping with her at the same time. I'm going to have a really hard time being a a clear conduit about Christ and gossiping about all the other moms. It's going to be impossible for me to express the joy of Christ when I'm full of bitterness, resentment, anger, slander, brawling, and malice. The reason that I want, that I flee, that I want to get away from sin is so that when you look at my life, you can clearly see who Christ is and what he wants to do for your life. You know what I want? I want to love you the way that I've been loved. I want to forgive you the way that I've been forgiven. And only Christ and his power can cause me to function that way. And when I get rid of that assumption that God is just waiting for me to mess up, he's watching, he's looking, I knew you were going to do it, and I get rid of that assumption, is that really what God's like? Is God a vindictive father who just, I yeah, finally get that lightning bolt, that one. Would a loving father, if their son asks for bread, give them a stone? Or am I reading it all wrong? If I go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and I read it without the assumption, how might I hear it? Ready? Therefore, instead of, there, you better listen to it. Hey, by the way, guys, listen to this. This is fun. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what are they doing? What are they witnessing? What are they cheering for? Your righteousness. You're becoming more and more like Christ. Maybe grandma is no, maybe finally she's with heaven. She's like, you know what? You could have played Joker the whole time. And it, maybe she's looking at you and saying, you know what? That stuff's not the important stuff. Here's the important stuff. There is nothing better than loving someone. Boy, listen, if your life could project the life of Jesus Christ, listen, don't, who cares about that stuff that's going to rust? You, if you want to lay up treasure, it really does pay off. Everything in this book is legit. Man, I wish that, do that. I'm cheering for you as you run the race. I'm excited for you. I'm hopeful for you. I'm telling you, when you run the race that Christ has marked out for you, that's the race worth running. So you know what? Throw off the stuff that hindered. Nothing nothing is worth. Run it faster. The sin, get away from that. Let Christ push that out of your life. And run this race marked out before you. And what am I running to? Look at it. Look at it. Verse 2. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the originator, and the perfecter of faith. Instead of filling my eyes with, ah, i got to go with sinning, I have to stop it. I fill my eyes with Christ. Paul says, I want to to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in the joy of his resurrection. I want to know the heart, the mind of Christ. I want it to transform me every day. My goal is to get up and not sin more. My goal is to get up and be more and more in step with the spirit of God. To understand a new aspect of God's love for me, his generosity, his compassion, his grace to me. And when I understand, when I love him like that, what happens is I'm going to start looking at people the way that Christ would look at them. I'm going to see myself as an ambassador for Christ everywhere I go, everything that I do. When I walk into a restaurant, I'm no longer going to regard someone from a worldly point of view. You, you are no longer the girl that can't make French fries. How hard can it be to get my water out here? You, you are a person that Christ loves. I want to love you the way Christ loves you. I want to know your backstory, not at you. I want to look through you. I want to know what's going on in you. I wonder what your heart is. I wonder what your pain is. I wonder what your family situation is. I wonder if this morning you got up and said, God, I am so empty. I'm so depleted. If you could just somehow tell me that you exist and that you love me. And I wonder if God sent me to say that for him. That's... That's worth throwing off stuff and unentangling stuff. That, that When I love like that, I won't be selfish. When I love like that, I, I wanna leave you a monster tip. I don't care about my money. And it's Christ that does that within us. I start to hear the Bible differently big verse I heard a lot is, be sure your sins will find you out. Oh, he's going to find you out. I'm watching. Eyes everywhere. Is that the way a loving father talks to his children? Or is that a loving warning? Son, daughter, listen. Your sins are going to find you out. Nobody gets away with the affair. Nobody does. Nobody gets away. Do you know one greedy person who's happy? That sin is going to find you out. You know one selfish person who's actually happy? That sin is going to find you out. Do you know one arrogant, cliquish, snotty person who's secure on the inside? sin is going to find you out. Son, daughter, get away from it. Right? Well, are the eyes of the Lord watching? The Bible says it. Yeah, just read the last three words. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He sees the wicked and the good. Could it be that your heavenly Father is looking at you, cheering for you, going before you, maybe if he's before you, who can be against you? You can, you can do what, you can be transformed because the power of God's with you. The Bible also says the eyes of the Lord are everywhere in First Chronicles. You know what it says? He's looking to help the righteous. Oh, I see you right now. I see you. You're tempted. I want to help you I want, Holy Spirit is going to bring to bear a, a, a part of scripture to your mind right now that you can lock onto. It'll help you. You're confused right now. I see it. You're confused. You're not, you know what? Don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on me. I'll make your path straight. So come to me. I see you right now. You're, you're raising these kids. Every parent's a rookie. How in the world do you do this? What am I supposed to do? How's the Bible tell me I'm doing it wrong? Wrong. How does the, what does the Bible teach us about the heart of a father? And how can I translate it into my life? What is God's mind? What is his heart? What does he say? What are the examples? What's the metaphor? What, is God waiting for you to mess up? No. You're so messed up. It's not even funny. That's the point. Is God waiting for me to blow it? No, he didn't even make it to church this weekend without blowing it. I know what happens in the Honda Odyssey minivan on the way to church. I have six kids. Think I don't scream at them on my way out the door? Of course. The whole point is we're Powerless. The whole point is we can't do it. The whole point is we don't have any self-righteousness. We can't make ourselves righteous. Who transforms the heart? Christ. Who displaces Christ? Now, Jeff, boy, that sounds like you're getting soft on sin. Nope. I'm getting radical on love. And when you love someone, your behavior will modify in ways you never thought imaginable. You're just clicking off a list. It's no big deal. It's easy. Easy peasy. If I love you, if I got to find the three ways to keep Heidi quiet, keep her off my back, easy. I don't even have to go home to do it. But to love her, there, you know, five steps to perfect kids. We don't have perfect kids. That book would sell. But to love them, to love a neighbor, to love the church, to love an enemy. That that's radical. It's life changing, it's all in, it's never ending. It it causes, I have to die to myself to do it. Don't smoke, drink, chew, day girls who do, easy. Love the Lord your God. And what we're doing in these conversations, this one in particular, is I've tried to craft our weekend conversations to kind of sit beside the book. So in this chapter in the book, this weekend's conversation sits beside it, and then when you read the book, it's going to color in kind of a bigger picture. And this is why going to life groups is so important, because when you go to life groups, you smash all that together on a very individualized basis. So one of the things, you're going to see this in the book, one of the things that happens in, when we see God this way, he's always waiting for us to mess up. We'll do bad math. Bad things happen to me because I did something wrong. And what that does is it means that we don't know how to go through trials. And we just assume if something bad happens in my life, God's abandoned me. And it's, it's comical in a sad way. The, the Apostle James says the exact opposite of that, like literally the exact opposite. But because we have this assumption, it's we we have a terrible time doing this math over here. If we move the assumption, everything changes in our perspective about God, our perspective about each other. So the book's gonna take you down that path. You need to take an, add it, add it to this, do that in your life group, and, and you might be shocked. Might be shocked what happens, right? When this all comes together. In between services, my friend came up to me and he, he said, "He goes, you're fired up this weekend." And I say, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm leaving for Florida in about an hour. <laughs> Heidi drove. I'm flying. She's bitter, but we'll go through counseling and get that worked out, right, right? But I'm not I'm not fired up because of spring break. Listen, I am fired up. Nobody told me this. I never knew. And I want you to know." It just burns in me. I don't don't want you living like this. It's bad math. And we serve a good God, and he loves you deeply, and he loves you so much. How serious is your sin? The son of God had to lay his life down for it. It's a big deal. It's the biggest. And he defeated it. And the way that we overcome that is with Him. Nobody told me that. I never knew that. And my whole relationship with God was so messed up for so long. I just, I just quit caring about it. And when these lights came on, it was life-changing for me. A big verse I heard a lot was John fourteen fifteen, great verse. Jesus said in the verse, he says this, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And, and so I was taught that, and I was taught it this way. If you love me, you will obey what I command. You will do it. You will knock it off. You will stop it. And I am watching. And so I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. To obey what he commanded, and it never worked, never got over my lust, never got over my selfishness, never. And when I found Christ and asked for the forgiveness of my sin and yielded my life, became a follower of Christ, and I wasn't just trying to get out of hell, I was trying to know and love and follow Jesus, a friend came to me, forever indebted to him. And I said, What do you do with this verse? He said, Jeff, you're listening to it all wrong. Just like these other verses, you're listening to them all wrong. He said, what if it sounds like this? What if Jesus Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, you'll look at people differently. If you love me, you'll want to change. If you love me, if we change the foundation, first and greatest, Jesus' words, and we put our effort, so to say, into knowing and loving and receiving the depth of what Christ has already done. See? All right. I'm pray for us. And the band will come out in a minute as I pray, and they will take us into a time of thought and reflection. And I'm just going to leave it there. I told you guys, like, I, can't, I can't even finish these conversations in this setting. You have to get into groups and, and let spiritual leaders there and your friends like process these things through. So what I, what I want you to do, or I want to invite you to do in these moments, is just be with God. Just be still. Don't worry about Get a cup of coffee in five more minutes. You know, Just be still. And and, and just let the Spirit of God work in your mind and in your heart. And these conversations are so personalized, right? I, I could give you a thousand examples that are only mine, and you could give me a thousand more that are only yours. But the basic assumption, right, if God moved that and put in this truth, what would the trajectory of your walk with Him be? Right? So give them that freedom in these moments, right? Jesus, we love you. Help us. I get so passionate about this. You've just altered my life. I'm so grateful and I love you so deeply. And Lord, I, I, um, the idea that you would rescue us, that you care, that you're here, you'd be involved. Lord, I, I just pray that this awakening could happen in other people's lives the way that it, it happened in mine. And so Holy Spirit, on the d- deepest levels, in the most individualized way for everyone lord in the sound of my voice right now if you would press in and take hold if your if your presence and your truth would be felt we would be grateful and god bring our hearts in line with yours and uh, Let our identities be lost in yours and change us in these ways. Be with us now, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.